0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop.
1: I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. just
3: me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under seventeen, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May seventeenth.
4: I watched Sense and Sensibility last night. I've never seen it before. It's the version with Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet, Hugh Grant, Alan Rickman, and like. 10 other people Mm. who were in Harry Potter. Legend. But it was so good, and honestly, I've never read Sense and Sensibility before, and like Jane Austen kind of put her whole pussy into that. (laughs) We're talking about something that I love so much today. Like, truly one of the foundational pieces. Of my personality. I was gonna say. Is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We've already talked about so many things that are very formative to you, but Buffy really is that thing. It is that thing. It has shaped so much of who I am in the world. And like, obviously, that's complicated now because of the Joss Whedon of it all. But I'm really excited to to dig into Buffy and why it's so important. And like, especially the women of Buffy, like why why they're so important. And there's no better person to have this conversation with us than Evan Ross Katz, who is a writer, cultural critic. Um, Buffy correspondent, Buffy, honestly. Buffy correspondent. Historian. historian Buffy, um, who is literally writing the book on Buffy. Yes, of course. Um, and we're so excited to talk about it with him today. Because this is Like a Virgin, the show where we give... Yesterday's Pop Culture, Today's Takes. I'm Rose Damu. And I'm Fran Dorado. And I'm feeling a sacred calling to talk about what's going on in pop culture today.
3: Mm.
4: Um, So I woke up this morning to a cultural reset, a a shift. I felt something in the air. Uh I smelled it. I felt my breasts were sore. Oh. So that's how I knew even before I opened Twitter that Rihanna had done something,
5: and it, and I'm sure it was not make an album, correct? Yes.
4: <laughs> no. Um. Rihanna is pregnant with her first child. <sighs> with, I mean, the father, I don't believe is like it's it's Rihanna's baby, but it it is with ASAP Rocky, who I guess <laughs> like people thought that they had broken up, maybe, but they are expecting a child no, i
5: think your initial reaction was correct the father doesn't exist um and Rhi is madonna with child this is a sacred baby <laughs> the spirit of our lord and savior has impregnated yes. her and betrothed to us a savior
4: i miss the i miss the old days when rihanna used twitter the way that the rest of us use twitter yeah. to like clap back at people or like you know the iconic like <laughs> Good luck booking that stage you speak of. Yeah, yeah, same.
5: Oh. I miss the olden days of Rihanna when she was releasing Anti, which is the best Rihanna
4: album. Sorry about it. <laughs> well, someone did tweet this morning um, that how It was very wrong of Rihanna to announce this news the week of the (laughs) anti-anniversary, because it's just, like, solidifying the fact that we are not getting an album, like, maybe ever again. Oh my gosh,
5: but we have to say, Needed Me is one of my favorite Rihanna songs of all time. Love on the Brain, Higher, like... I like that you are
4: willfully ignoring Rihanna's baby and instead choosing to have a retrospective for anti. This is the only thing I actually really need to talk about. Must be love on the brain. Why do I sing so much on this podcast?
5: Yeah, I don't know. We're not trying to make that Because, like, I don't
4: sing that much in real life, I think. Our producer saying it's because we're musical theater girls. Yeah, we are recovering. Recovering.
5: Recovering musical theater.
4: Musical theater girls. (laughs) to the tune of material
5: girls (laughs) i wanted to offer you rose a brief fran cap of real housewives of salt lake city go ahead First of all, there was a huge uh, press release that I'm sure you saw posted on all Bravo social media accounts about how Jenny, the cast member of this franchise, who is maybe the most boring housewife we've had in quite some time, was fired for posting some really offensive things about black people during the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020. I
4: I did see that last week.
5: I just wanted to bring this up because... Obviously, Jenny deserved the boot, and, like, I am glad that Bravo did something about it, but it has to be said that Bravo only did this for opportunism because they wanted to fire Jenny anyways, and so they took this moment to post about why Jenny is a bad girl and, like, dismissing her for her racism and, like, she's no longer a part of the show. I just don't understand, I guess, how the show is kind of pulling its, like, racial politics together when, like, someone like Ramona exists in Housewives, like, or when someone like Mary, who isn't going to be in the next season, like, gets to go quietly. What I'm trying to say is, like, Bravo not tolerating racism is, like, completely incoherent when
4: you look at the rest of, like, the Housewives cinematic universe. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think telling that the the fall person for this bad behavior is someone who isn't white.
5: Exactly. Exactly. Say that. Not that any of her behavior is excusable, but it really is fairy
4: telling. Um, you know what's moderately better background TV is what? RuPaul's Drag Race, which I am continuing to watch. Proud of you. What did you think of this week's episode and like JLo's cameo? <laughs> Quote, I mean, cameo is a generous term. It literally. I mean, I mean, I mean they, they yeah. probably paid her for they paid her for a cameo and set her the script. Oh the my looks god! Were I mean. I think it says a lot about JLo as a celebrity that, like, when they have done the other pop girlies, they are, like, a lot of times doing iconic, like, performance looks or, like, music video looks. And for JLo, it's a lot of, like, this red carpet that you've never seen photos of from, Ugh. like, th- two years ago. You
5: know, it's funny because JLo's not necessarily as much of a fashion queen as, like, when they did Night of a Thousand Madonnas or Night of a Thousand Shares or whatever. It kind of Felt a little more lukewarm, but I felt Willow Pills look was stunning. And I thought that she was cute. She looked good. She, I think, got the assignment really well and that she found kind of an uggo bagugo look that no one would remember and made something that was very drag.
4: I have to say, if I see that fucking Versace dress one more time, I'm going to claw my own eyes out. And I, I don't care. That Carrie had the actual one that Jayla wore. Mm-hmm. Like, also that Why lip do sync that? double elimination. They were both bad, and mm. and I and I like am happy to have Carrie stay, but I don't think she won that lip sync.
5: I agree. I don't think she won the lip sync. I don't think either of them won. But the I've- other queen,
4: whose name I've already forgotten and will not care to learn. Alyssa Hunter. Please don't tell me. Um, She (laughs) definitely did worse in the challenge but if we're going off the lip sync, like she was marginally better.
5: If I were to get nitty gritty, Georges should have been in the bottom. I think she really, really tanked and Alyssa and carrie one of them should have been saved from the bottom because I just don't think that that was who our bottom two were. I think they're both amazing performers in very different ways. I think Alyssa is like such a showgirl and I appreciated her and felt like she should have gone further. Carrie may be giving a very timid performance in Drag Race overall so far, but I do feel like she has what it takes to be a much more fierce competitor in face and in runway and in other components of the show. But, like, the runways just don't matter in the grand scheme of how they eliminate girls. And I wish the judges would just no. say that.
4: You know what I mean? Like, but they are, like, low-key my one of my favorite parts of the show to watch.
5: I agree. And, like, you know, I don't really feel like giving a ton of credit to someone who can afford an archival Jennifer Lopez Versace dress. Or I guess it's not archival, as 2019, version but it's like it still was a stunning runway and if you're in the bottom that's like that's gonna that's gonna save you you know what i mean like she served and like the runways should be factoring into how they evaluate these which is why the bottom two made me
4: so upset still double elimination i I just always think it should be a double (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, you yeah or quadruple honestly (laughs) i would like to be eliminated (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I think before we move on to talking about Buffy, like, we should briefly touch on And Just Like That, which today, the season finale is out. Um, But as we are, you know, coming to you from the past, we haven't seen it yet. So based on where this penultimate episode ended, like, what are your predictions for the finale? Is Samantha gonna show up? Well, I don't think it's gonna happen.
5: I don't think so either. I think that is like so far and beyond wishful. She's thinking. gonna show up in a
4: post-credit scene, like Nick Fury at the end of the Avengers. Yeah,
5: I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I'd be curious to hear your predictions briefly on the the last episode. I just have honestly one remark. This writer's room, trying to imagine the hottest club in Brooklyn, quote unquote. First of all, Brooklyn doesn't have clubs. Like, we don't really do clubs, really. Like, that's not a thing.
4: I mean, there are clubs. It's just, like, we're not going to them.
5: It, it, is, it was kind of hard to watch. And also, sorry, someone who is at this stage in her career, like... Carrie would not be waiting in line at a club. Like if she went to the front, even if she was like kind of like an eye rolly like kind of chuggy internet celebrity that no one likes, the way you would let a real housewife into a party, no matter who she is, you'd be like, okay, she's But I don't think Carrie
4: has that kind of face recognition. You don't think? No, I think maybe, I think she should have had her, well, I was gonna say her publicist, but she doesn't have one anymore because yeah. it's like Samantha. She would have had her publicist call ahead and get her on the list. But oh, I guess that's, maybe that's, you know, that's it. No, no Samantha. So there we go. My big question watching the episode was at the end of the last episode, Miranda was flying to Ohio to yeah. see Che and confess her love. And then in this episode, like all they're just all at brunch and like there's no mention of what happened no in one Ohio. Talked about it. So like no what, one talked what happened? What?
5: That was so I I understand that, like, in the OG Sex and the City, like, it is truly episodic. And so there are huge time jumps between all of these episodes. And so it, I don't know why, but it's much more jarring and, and just like that, I think, because they've created these hour-long stories that, um, in my opinion, are pretty serialized. And so I just, I, I don't really... It it is a little jarring. And I think that even if they do earn it most of the time, like, they're good enough writers to, like, earn it, that I totally agree was, like, it was such an explosive moment to, like, take a cab to an airport for it to be completely disregarded.
4: Yeah, but I did like that Miranda, like, had that moment where she recognized she was being insane and not acting like herself, but, like... It's a little too little too late, especially after the moment between Steve and Carrie, Mm -hmm. where he said he was never taking his wedding ring off. But also, like, that was so different than the tune he was singing last week, where he was saying he was done fighting for their marriage. There's no consistency in the characterizations from episode to episode. And that makes me wonder, like okay, next week is, like, Miranda gonna have a come-to-Jesus moment where Che, like, disappoints her in some way and she goes back to Steve?
5: You know, I agree that there's, there is there uh, an emo- is an emotional incontinuity, but I do think that there's consistency in saying, I'm done fighting for you, but also, like, you're gonna break my heart forever. Months have passed, I guess, since we last saw them, so it would make sense that he would come around to kind of a new frame of mind. I think I bought that. I guess what I'm kind of struggling with is Naya's like IVF plotline. I, I fully
4: just don't care.
5: I think that I don't care. They need
4: they to, to get me to care. She needed to be more part of everyone else's stories. Like, yeah. yes, I can I can recognize that that's a compelling story, even though it's one we've already seen before with Charlotte and Trey back in the original series. But she's just not a part of the rest of the story enough for me to care about it.
5: I totally agree. And, like, I commend what's kind of trying to be done of incorporating new kind of characters into this universe in in the name of inclusion, which I think in a kind of tokenism is, like, really annoying. But I, I think they're genuinely trying. I think what, like, I, I feel both of us are kind of annoyed with is that seeing scenes without any of our girls is very... Jarring. It's a different show. It's a show I would want to watch. It's a show I would be engaged in, but it's not Sex and the City. And so I appreciate the swing of trying to incorporate new perspectives and narratives. I just wish it was kind of more entwined. And to borrow a take from the Every Outfit podcast, like... It's also, it sucks that, like, all the people of color in the show, like, that their plot lines are such bummers. Like, Sima is, like, I guess creating a fake marriage to please her parents. LTW is just kind of, like, bickering with her husband. And Naya, you know, and this IVF thing, like, barely has a single moment of levity. And again, it's just, I think it's a failure of the imagination for, like, rich people of color in this show. I think Seema is the best iteration of it, and, like, she is, like, so fabu, and, like, I'm I'm invested in her as a character for season two of the show, but it still doesn't... They haven't quite
4: smoothed over all the layers of it um, tonally. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think also one of the problems is that, like, I get just like, that is not Sex and the City, but the thing with Sex and the City was that Carrie's friends lives were important because not just because we found them compelling as characters but because what they were going through in the episodes was thematically linked to what Carrie was talking about in in her columns so all the stories had these like larger thematic connectivity exactly and that's just not happening here everything is just like here's a bunch of stuff that's happening all these people's lives so that just like feels weird to me and just like bad writing but I guess that's my prediction for the finale is like there will be more kind of like confusing bad writing stuff um, we are getting a they mitzvah which uh. is going to be a lot uh, <laughs> Hari Neff is playing the trans rabbi you're kidding um, yeah it was in the preview they showed. Ah!
5: okay that's sick I'm here for Hari as a, as a rabbi I think all I'm hoping for is that these women get something fun to do next season i hope so
4: but we will see you at the they mitzvah
0: (laughs) happy pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop
1: just being
3: me. Amy Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th.
4: Today we're talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and there is literally no one better to do that with than with our guest, Evan Ross Katz.
6: Thank you both. And I just gotta say, I feel like years ago, when I would see you on Twitter, I'd be like, oh my god. She's someone who also sees the show like I see the show. And like, really, I started to realize that there was like a fandom that exists 20 plus years later. And like, we still are out there. And it like, you see someone that posts about Buffy and it like, it connects you to that person because you're like, oh, you may, maybe you see the world how I see the world.
4: It is this little. Insider club and a way to just know someone's cool if they like Buffy. Agreed. So you're declaratively saying that I'm not cool. That's not That's not actually what I'm saying. If that's what you're inferring, (laughs) then that's up to you. I guess I
5: should clarify that. I I like Buffy, but I personally have not consumed Buffy the way y'all have, because y'all were from the start question mark
4: from season two from season two that's and, that's and when i started as well yeah. and then went oh, back no way yeah yeah
5: okay okay and i personally have only you know done a cursory watch of the first season i'm not in the weeds of it but again like i said i'm a student today I'm, I'm here to learn well, but then, I,
6: yeah but i was gonna say like i feel like with season like when i first watched it i look back now and i don't know what i was taking away from it because i literally was a preteen and so so many and as you mentioned I think, yeah yeah and like i go back now and i'm like i don't know the show that i was watching or what i was taking away from it i'm glad i found it but like
4: so many of the jokes and the references, like, I had no idea what was going on. And so. to this day, I get something new from every every time I watch an episode. Oh, completely, There's completely. so many layers of references and, like, little, like, physical moments of humor that I just didn't catch on first watching.
6: There's a line in, in season three, I forgot the name of the episode, but it's one sentence, and Sarah Michelle Geller literally references Willie Loman from Death of a Salesman and then talks about the real world. Oh my god. Um, and it's just, like, the way that she just just sort of goes in and out of something that's like an Arthur Miller play and then like an MTV reality show. And I, I again, both of those things over my head at the time, but now I go back and watch it and I'm like, this show's just so
4: smart. Well, for all of our virgins out there, which this week includes Fran, includes um, Evan, do you wanna give us like a, you know, a brief little synopsis of what Buffy is yeah. yeah so Buffy was based off of a
6: 1992 film that was written by Joss Whedon and when we say his name we're using verbal asterisks over the uh, the, the, the vowels <laughs> yes of course um, but basically the premise of the film which sort of sort of more or less carries over into the series was that there, he wanted to subvert the idea of the blonde girl in the alley that dies in a horror film. And he basically was like, I want to have her take back the night. I want her to not only survive, but thrive and be powerful and actually be able to take out the bad guys. And so the character of Buffy was born. In the film, she's a little bit more flat. She's more of like just sort of a ditzy valley girl who's given this identity as the chosen one, the slayer. And then in the television series, she becomes a lot more nuanced, thanks to the writing, but mostly thanks to the performance of Sarah Michelle Gellar. And so the series just basically chronicles her battling physical demons, and then the demons that live with so many of us. And so there's sort of this metaphor.
4: Yeah, it was the show that popularized the idea of the monster of the week Mm -hmm. episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also was the show That created the idea of the big bad um, of having a a season of serialized television that was like all like thematically linked by one story and leading towards one big confrontation. And in so many ways, Buffy was the blueprint for like everything that exists on TV now. Oh,
6: completely. And also just like treating young people. You know, there's this thing right now because there's so many shows out there from Sex Education to Euphoria that treat uh, teens like Teens really are, but yeah. that like wasn't so much the trend at the time. No, it was like no, no. very much like teens after school special. Like everything was like a lesson. And I feel like Buffy was one of the first shows to really treat teens as young adults, as people yeah. who have maybe heightened emotions, but those emotions are very real when you're living through them at the time. It sort of didn't um look down upon teen angst. It actually celebrated teen
4: angst. Totally. And the those emotions were so real that they became literal monsters yes. because those monsters 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 were reflections of what the characters were dealing with. And I think in Buffy, the the Slayer, you know, defeating them, they never made that, like, a shorthand for having to deal with the actual issues. Like, Buffy always had to figure her shit out. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like she just got to slay a monster and everything went away. There was so much, like, unpacking of... Trauma and, you know, like dealing with, you know, romantic relationships and platonic relationships and familial relationships. And it uh, it's just like the best show ever. <laughs> yeah.
5: I, I watched the first episode with like an OG Buffy stan, like someone who watched the movie. Like when it came out, and then became obsessed with Buffy from there. Which I think I don't know. Do a lot of Buffy stands like even wa- like I actually didn't even know that there was a movie. Do a lot of Buffy stands start with the TV show and then go back to the movie, or like?
6: Well, I would say that the film is like not
4: canon, but it but it kind of is because yeah. <laughs> they like I like that they didn't totally throw it out because mm-hmm. they make references to the the villain in the movie yeah. and in season two the flashbacks to Buffy at her old school. Like she does talk about how she burned down the gym in her old school. You see like a version of her that is closer to what we saw in the movie, but you understand In the first season, that Buffy has gone through a major change after like the events of the first movie. Yeah. And that's what makes it okay for her to be this new character played by this new actress. Yeah.
6: And there's one moment in the film that I actually think carries through in terms of the character of Buffy that's actually like one of my favorite moments. So in the film, Buffy is played by Christy Swanson, another actor who we're going to use asterisks around the vowels in their name. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can Google that if you want. But so Christy plays Buffy and then Luke Perry, the great Luke Perry, is her love interest to Pike and there's a scene in like the very end of the film they're dancing during the prom and he says to her "Uh, Buffy you're not like the other girls and she says yeah I am and I kind of love that because I think it crystallizes this idea that like Buffy, all Buffy wants to be is like everybody else. And oh. the struggle for Buffy is actually like trying to subjugate her greatness, which actually comes to a head in season seven of the series, you know, which we won't get into deep dive. But I think that one of the interesting things that the show does that it carried over from the film was this idea that like Buffy actually just wants to be a normal girl. Um, she doesn't want to have these superpowers or be perceived to be like better than others.
4: But circumstance does not allow for that. And so much of the tension of the show is her trying to reckon with that. And then, like you said, in the later seasons, she really starts to accept that she's different. I would say like season five is probably where that happens the most when she, you know, like starting with Buffy versus Dracula, that she Mm. is realizing that she is like not, She's not human. She's not a normal girl. Um, She never will be. Yes. I want to talk a little
5: bit about, like, that whole normal girl thing. But I want to start with, like, um, kind of Buffy's place, like, in the cultural context of this kind of heroine. You know what I mean? Because, like... being like oh yeah you know the bimbo that dies at the beginning of the movie is now going to be the hero of the story like i actually had no idea that that was like buffy's conceit but when i watched the first episode i mean she's not like super like jugsy but she has like you know she's got like a mini skirt she has like the valley girl accent and i think that dichotomy of like shrewd smart like a total killer and also like i have a valley girl accent is like the beginning of like a lot of things that, like, we consume, like, right now, you know? Um, because, like, I don't know. What was the TV like at that time? It was probably, like, what? Um, like, Everybody Loves Raymond and, like... like was Dawson's
4: Creek. Yeah, well, like, You think about were, what else was on the WB when Buffy
5: right. premiered. Right, 7th uh, Heaven, Charm, Dawson's
6: Creek. But I do feel like of the... Because you have to realize, at the time, the WB was very much like a fledgling network. Dawson's Creek came in 98, so, like, Buffy had just premiered. I would say their tent... Their tentpole series at the time was Seventh Heaven, mm. which, like looking back on it, like oh was not not exactly moving the needle. It, forward. it, it, it
5: did not age well. <laughs> However, it was one of the few things that my fa- I was allowed to watch in my family because they were like that. loosely Christian somehow, or yeah, quite know. Christian. I don't even remember yeah, yeah.
6: Um, but so it was kind of the the one of the first shows that was kind of being used to launch the network in many senses. But like, there wasn't a lot of belief in the material. Buffy was passed over by the WB originally, and actually resurrected, if you will, as a mid-season replacement. So they that's why the first season is only 12 episodes was because they kind of weren't so sold on it, um, which makes sense, I mean, it, it's, you know, Buffy the film is not f- a failed movie, but when it came out at the time, Death Becomes Her, came out the same weekend as Buffy, no the movie, and Death Becomes Her was like this huge hit, But what's interesting is like the budget of Buffy the movie is quite small. So, like, Buffy did fine. It's not like it did terribly at the box office, but it's not the kind of property you would go to and be like, yes, let's make this movie. Let's develop this five years later into a television series. But Joss had won an Oscar in the interim for writing the screenplay for Toy Story. So, he was a hot commodity. And I think that helped kind of land it on the WB. And they were like, let's take, you know, let's roll the dice with this. And then. It worked out. And I also he that. had
4: the backing of Dolly Parton. He did, it. Wait, he did Wait, 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 wait. Yes, she was like a little lo- bit She's a, an executive produce- producer? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Her
6: company, Sand Dollar Entertainment, um, yeah, they were backers of the show. And they were, I, I believe it was Sandy Gallen, I could be wrong about this, Sandy Gallen, who was her partner, who actually went to uh, Joss and was like, we, we actually want to do something with this. And Joss said, no way. And it was Joss's ex-wife, Kai Cole, who actually convinced Joss to be like, no, 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 there's something here, let's let's take a leap. So a lot of women behind the scenes in those early days were actually the ones to sort of like spearhead this vision. Uh, I think Joss gets a lot of credit for creating Buffy and like yeah. he is the creator, of course, but I think there were a lot of other people, particularly women,
4: behind the scenes that kind of helped usher it forward. Well, that's also so true in the writing because writers like Marty Noxon and um, Jaina Spenson, um, you know, have have written what I think are some of the best episodes of Buffy ever. Um, the ones that really like hit you in a, in a like really deep way. And they have since gone on to, I think make works that like, I think about something like sharp objects, Mm -hmm. um, that Marty Noxon was, um, maybe executive producer, creator. Um, and like, you know, this through line of like how women deal with trauma, um, how like yeah he is know. kind of overcredited with well I mean not
5: to discredit but I mean I don't want to get into the Joss Whedon of, of it all yet but I do feel like the big part of like his PR stint and like what he was t- what he talks about in a lot of his like films in post is like about him being you know the inventor of the strong female lead and like this kind of like this woman with autonomy but like there was I mean Xena was on TV before that, and like Sailor Moon, like that's like Sabrina
4: the Teenage Witch. Yes, Yes.
5: yeah, like the kind of bimbo heroine, or like the I'm just a girl, but like I also fight crime. Yeah,
6: I think what Buffy subverted from something like Xena which without a doubt is a precursor yeah. was that like in the case of Xena or Wonder Woman or Catwoman they were all wearing costumes yeah. so it was this idea that like to be my strong self I somehow have to wear I have to put on a, a different identity I yeah have to, like, Sailor Moon of... has
5: to become Sailor Moon exactly yeah. okay, right cool, cool. and so with
6: Buffy it was this idea that like I go to school and then I go out in the graveyard at night and fight demons and I'm still wearing the same clothes that I wore from school I don't my, have to like, skirt th- maybe I threw
4: a leather jacket Yeah. Exactly. My, yeah.
5: my high socks my yes. my uh, cashmere turtleneck, skin tight. Yeah, so like I think that. like the duality was in her existence, but
6: not in her presentation. Mm. And I think that really was a switch up from the female fighters or the female sort of action stars that we were seeing at the time when it was not only did they have to change over, but like in the case of Sailor Moon or with Wonder Woman, it was like a big to do that they were changing form. Yeah. Like, and it, with Buffy, it was just she's this girl 24 seven. She walks through high school as the slayer and she slays demons as a high school girl.
4: Let's talk about some of the, you know, supporting cast, because I think that that is what makes the show is, you know, the Scooby gang. And I think everyone is able to, like, find themselves in a different Buffy character. And that is, I think, the main difference from the... in in the movie translation to the TV show is like in the film all she has is her watcher and a boyfriend and she is this very lone figure Um, and in the show I think it was so important to give her this cast of characters to work off of so you have... Xander played by Nicholas Brendan. Asterix uh, so <laughs> so is again. Oh, he canceled too? Oh man, he's just as canceled as Josh. Oh,
6: oh no, really? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We
5: God. don't you can Google it. Okay.
6: Yeah, you can yeah. Go, there's a lot to
4: Google.
5: We're, we're um, not gonna do yeah. that for
6: you. Then
4: there's Willow, played by Allison Hannigan, who is this like nerdy computer girl when the show starts and eventually matures into an extremely powerful witch and a lesbian. You also have Charisma Carpenter as Cordelia, speak her name. Charisma yes. um, <laughs> Carpenter. She is, she, is, she is basically set up as who Buffy used to be mm-hmm. before she became the Slayer, and she is this really interesting foil for her mm. um, and is honestly, I think, one of the best characters in the entire oh, show. For sure. Like, she gets the best lines. She does. Um, She... Ha- I think she's, like, one of the most iconic parts of the show, and she is clearly... It's clearly a personality that they felt was Im- necessary to have in the show because when she leaves, she's replaced by Anya, right. who provides sort of the same like space in the show of being like the sort of caustic, tactless mm. person who's going to just say everything they think mm. with no filter. Um, then you, of course, have Buffy's watcher Giles, played by Anthony Stewart Head, who's her mentor, and he starts the show off as like a very stuffy, like British man, and eventually becomes really. A father figure to Buffy. Who does all
5: these expository scenes in libraries that were really helpful for me as a first-time watcher. I was just like, oh, um, if I need to know the summary... Yeah, he'll lay it all out. You know, like
4: there's
6: that sort of if-you-know-you-know you know caption that we put on lots of things on social media. I think Buffy is filled with if-you-know-you-know you know moments throughout mm. the show that are sometimes laid out as Easter eggs, but sometimes there's like a throwaway moment that... For instance, I keep thinking about, are we allowed to spoil for you? Yeah, absolutely. So like, Buffy's uh, sister arrives in season five, but in seasons three and four, she there are little hints laid out that, again, if you know, you know. If, if, if your ear is attuned to it, you will hear it. And I think that the show is just really, really great at treating its viewers smart. And I know another show I'm obsessed with, which I, I promise will be the one time I mention but Survivor. Survivor <laughs> is not great at respecting the intelligence of its viewers. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing that really frustrates me as a viewer. And it's not the only show. But I think Buffy just like had a grasp of not only treating the teens that it's writing as intelligent people, but also treating the teens that are
5: watching the show as intelligent. And I really value that when I was younger. That's definitely something that a lot of cult classics have in common is kind of like the world built inside of like the inside jokes and the references that you only catch if you've like watched it all the way through. Like these are totally separate. But like I'm thinking a lot about Arrested Development. And when it first came out, it had no commercial success and people didn't get it because it, like, preceded streaming. But when people watched it all in a row, they saw all of the Easter eggs in, like, in a line and they were like, oh, my God, this thing's ha- that's happening three seasons later is referential of, like, the funniest joke from season one. And, like, I think a lot of things that, like, are determined niche or determined, like, on the margins of, like, pop culture are often just things that people didn't have the stamina to, like, sit down and understand.
4: But, but even not sitting down and understanding... We still have a cultural awareness of them because of what phenomenons they were. Like, you're only now watching the first season of Buffy, but like, you still have some kind of literacy in what it is and like the impact of it.
5: Yeah, not a ton, but like, of course, knowing that Buffy is massive and this like cultural entity that has paved the way for a lot of other things. And I actually, this is like, because my cultural my like reference point is like very boring. Like, my only real knowledge of like Buffy growing up was the fact that like I did watch a lot of like after school stuff on UPN and you could not watch a single thing on UPN without watching a Buffy commercial.
4: You know uh, what I the mean? The Buffy commercials were <laughs> Next iconic. Next on Buffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's what actually might have made me watch the first episode of it was seeing a commercial while I was watching something else. And it looked really spooky and sexy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, even as a little kid, I wanted to watch that. And I started watching during season two and then went back and there was um, a set of VHS tapes Ooh, yeah. Um that had like selected episodes from season 1, so I bought those and watched them cuz you know there was no other way at that point to go back and watch them. And then also Buffy was such a cultural juggernaut that there were novelizations of the yep. episodes. Mm-hmm. There were um original novels set in the yep. universe that were like sanctioned fan fiction, yep. I guess. Um, there were, you know, action figures yep. and, like,
6: Everything. it was huge. It's a
4: franchise. It, yeah.
6: And I think a huge, huge part of the conversation is that, is the fandom and the world built outside of Buffy because I think, again, many things about the show are quite unprecedented, but, like, that did not exist. This really is, like, the beginnings of the internet as we know it, and I think Buffy fans very quickly discovered one another, mm. and the conversations that were happening... Sure, they began as sort of being like, What did you think about this thing that happened? But it also led to like connections happening and fan meetups happening. And Joss and the writers and the cast, famously or infamously, depending on how you look at it, would go on the message boards, and they've <sighs> even admitted that storylines were affected by fan response no to way. the show so it was just very much a fandom that was in conversation and and you know we have convention culture today and and you can really fandom is so ingrained in sort of pop culture but that wasn't the case at the time and i remember like it was not cool to like buffy you yeah. know
4: um no it was something that i definitely did in secret at yes. least for the first couple of years and you're so right like buffy was my entrance into fandom it was the first mm. time i ever read and wrote fan fiction was because of Buffy. Um, the first time I really found any sort of like online community was reading message boards about like theories and spoilers. I remember at one point there was one website that the day before new episodes came out, they would have like a dis- a full description of what happened in the episode. Cause they had somehow gotten it early and I, I used to read them because I like couldn't wait yeah Mm. and that's another part and this is not just Buffy
6: this is one thing that I think is lost on a lot of young people today the waiting process Mm. of television oh my god God. yeah and like you mentioned those sort of like next time on Buffy or or those commercials that would air on UPN and yes they were ubiquitous well UPN didn't have a lot to sort of you know (laughs) be advertised. no 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 Um, but those commercials having to wait for the next week to see how these plots would unfold and especially when you're talking about like season two for instance and you're getting into like seasonal art in which you're like, oh my god, having to wait seven days between episodes and build anticipation, what are you gonna do? You're gonna turn to those online forums and the other fans because you wanna stay engaging on the show and because there's not Twitter or there's not places to sort of um, go and just see memes being made or people talking about it or podcast, recap podcasts, all of these sort of like ancillary things that exist now with media, you go to those message boards or you're writing fan fiction or you're getting the action figures or you're like me and I'm like literally handwriting messages to Sarah Michelle Gellar and sending them in the mail lying to her and saying I had seen Cruel Intentions even though I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> you're finding some way to keep engaging with the show because it's it's within you and you want to express that somehow. And, oh, yeah. Okay, I, you,
4: you more than me are... A Sarah Michelle Gellar, yeah, Stan and her story. In um, I, I'm, I love her, but I think your love for her is so, like so apparent in in your... Look, it's in the social in persona. bio. persona. <laughs> um, so, like, <laughs> I- is this where you fell in love with her? No, I actually fell in
6: love with her on All My Children. No way. Um, yeah, because my best friend's mom was obsessed with All My Children. So we, when we would come home from school, she would have them taped on her VHS, um, and we would watch All My Children, and Sarah Michelle Gellar played Kendall Hart, the daughter of Susan Lucci's character. She won an Emmy Award. But that's when I, like, first became intrigued by her. And then I would be, like, at the grocery store and see, like like BB and Bop magazine. <laughs> and she would be featured in it quite a bit. Oh, and yeah, and I just was like, who is this person? And so I knew when Buffy happened, I knew who she was. I wasn't yet like the super fan by that point. But All My Children was really the entry point into being like, there's something about this person that I like naturally feel compelled to follow. And that has always stuck with me. I feel very magnetized to her in a very strange way
4: that I know people like you can relate to. But like, she's extremely compelling. And oh, yeah. I think a big part of why Buffy works is because of her. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Like
5: who else? I mean, who? Someone else auditioned for the role before her. Who was it? Katie Holmes auditioned right.
6: for the role, right, and, right. and several others. And so funny enough, Sarah Michelle Gellar was originally cast as Cordelia on right. the show, right, 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 and which she would have been so great. So she would have been, been great. great. And basically, what happened was they weren't able to find a Buffy. They called her in. She was worried about whether or not to go in for Buffy because basically, and she says this in the book, she's like, there's a world in which they start to see you so much as, they're starting to see you as Buffy that they no longer see you as Cordelia. And if Mm. they go with somebody else for Buffy, then they're kind of like, well, wait a minute, you're not right for Cordelia anymore. And so she was worried, um, but she kept going in and kept going in and then eventually she was cast. But yeah, there's something about her performance. I mean, I say this in all seriousness and people often laugh at it, but I'm not joking. To me, there's, like, Meryl Streep, and there's Viola Davis, and there's Sarah Michelle Gellar. Like, she's in that same pantheon. She just haven't, hasn't been given
4: the opportunities that those women have by way of, like, role versatility. Well, she did everything on Buffy. Everything. She She did, you know, the, like, spunky, you know, uh, Valley Girl teenager. She did the heroine. She did, like, really emotional work like when you think about everything that happened with Angel in season 2 when you think about the body um, she's also really amazing at comedy I think of some of the more like one off episodes like things like him in season seven or Bewitched Bothered and Bewildered in season two. Um, She has an amazing, she has amazing comedic timing and she's like just very good at selling the joke.
6: Agreed. And then there's also like some other like random things about her that are like not often talked about, but like for instance, she looks good kicking butt. Like there's so many things where it's like her like physical prowess in the role is just incredible where it's like, it's not funny, it doesn't read weird to watch this five foot two blonde woman kicking these huge mutants' asses. It it makes sense because of the way she sells it. Yeah. She's so good. It it frustrates me that I don't care that she didn't really get a lot of like awards recognition, but it frustrates me that she was not given the respect at the time for her acting. Because I look yeah. at like someone like Zendaya winning an Emmy Award for Euphoria now and as she completely deserved. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I feel like if Buffy were on now, we would be looking at that performance with a lot more, we'd be celebrating it more.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip.
4: I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from
2: this board.
1: just
3: being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th. Sci fi
4: fantasy, horror. Horror, yeah. exists in a different cultural context now than it did when Buffy yeah. was on. Like, horror is now so elevated. We are much more celebratory to things that center teenagers, that center women, that center queer people. And also Game of Thrones really changed the way we talk about sci-fi and fantasy and it being prestige. Yeah. So I do think, in, in a way, Buffy like set the culture up to be able to
5: to do that. Buffy was ahead of its time for sure. But I think that you're so right. Like a big part of like kind of Sarah Michelle Gellar not getting like her flowers at least at that time was in large part I think because the show was ahead of its time but also because like, I would even argue, like, even today, like, we don't respect, like, genre stuff. With Like, even though we have, you know, the Jordan Peele's and, like, we have, like, heret- like Ari Ariasters, and we have that kind of, like, um, we have the prestige sci-fi and the prestige horror, those things still aren't getting nominated for awards.
4: Right. So, no, like, Tony you know I mean? Collette should have an Oscar oh my God. for oh, hereditary. Absolutely.
6: Oh, That's Oscar. a great, great example. And yeah, it wasn't even, like, exactly in contention because
5: like people don't view it that way because it's genre. I completely agree.
4: Degree. Yeah, Anya think, Taylor-Joy should have been nominated for The Witch. I would you know? love to
5: talk about this because I think what happens like within sci-fi and within horror is people can't see past sensationalist gore or they can't see past the camp that is intrinsically good, but they think it's quote-unquote bad or whatever. I think a lot of people don't know how to under- don't understand how to consume camp or don't know how to understand how to consume like something that is like so I don't know outside of the world that we live in. I Absolutely. think we
4: also, there is a big dissonance and disconnect. Like we celebrate film. We don't always celebrate movies. Mm. We don't always celebrate things that are made for entertainment and cultural consumption. We more celebrate things that are made as art. Right. right. Which is why. Or marketed as art.
6: Yeah. And also misogyny is a huge part of this conversation because so often, especially at the time when, because Buffy was a critical darling from the outset. I mean, yeah. Buffy—that's the one thing Buffy always had going for it. Was the critics loved it? I didn't know that. And it always was praise about Joss. If I, it, it, mm. literally, in my research for this book, I was really, I really wanted to go back and read how people were talking about the show then versus now. Mm. Because now I feel like there's a lot of rose-colored spectacles in terms of like, if you're talking about it, chances are you're talking about it because you love it, right? Why would you be talking about it 20 years later? At the time, though, when people liked Buffy, it was the genius of Joss, always through the frame of Joss, never through the frame of Sarah. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think that is sort of the patriarchy at play in its most obvious way. Um, And I think that is not just a Buffy thing. I think that happens oftentimes with uh, when powerful women... Step up in these performances in genre, but there's a male director. Mm. It's like he's the auteur. Ugh, he that's brought that so out. So
5: true. I, I want to. I actually want to know a little more about like little things that you discovered along your research for the book. But before that, I kind of want to know a little bit more about like your cultural like induction into like Buffy and like where where you were placed in time when you started writing like Sarah Michelle Gellar fan letters or like when you started consuming Buffy. What was the thing that immediately enraptured you? what kept you there? What were like the things that you did as a fan? Oh my God. I mean, it was pretty gross. I mean, like Mm -hmm. I I all of it It was the dirtiest, nastiest.
6: And I think you and I are similar in this way, but I think that, okay, obviously I think as a young person figuring out their, themselves on a show like Buffy before, you know, you get the introduction of Willow and she becomes sort of like, she is an out lesbian by season four. Mm -hmm. Um, but prior to that the sort of queerness of Buffy for me really began in season 2 even before that which it's like you have this character where she has this secret right like she is the slayer no one can know she has to hide it from her mother
5: very Hannah Montana yes and then
6: at the <laughs> end yes very much so and then at the end of season 2 she famously has this coming out scene where her and her mom get into this huge fight where she's like you know she's essentially saying I am the slayer but in my mind I'm hearing I am gay and it's a right. direct right. correlation
4: because Joyce even says have you tried Not being the Slayer, which like also also hands up to God for Joyce Summers. Hello,
5: hello. But it was it's riffing off of queerness on completely, and so I think that you know I'm watching
6: Buffy before I even knew I was gay, Mm. but I think I'm sensing something. Not just in this powerful woman who I who I wanted to be, but also sort of like in this idea that she's walking through the world unable to fully express the wholeness of herself.
5: And otherness.
6: Yeah. And I think that it's funny because it's like later on in the show, you know, and so much of the show is celebrated for its queerness because of the character of Willow as it should be. But I think there's something both implicitly and explicitly queer about Buffy and the implicit parts of it were the ones that really resonated with me when, when I was younger but it, it became my personality it like I remember like mm-hmm. my rabbi that was his thing where he was always like talking to me about how much I loved Buffy no I, way yeah I mean it was just my whole town it's like what <laughs> defined me I used to be on the playground and I would teach the young girls how to be Slayer I mean like what did I know but oh my God would? Yeah. So cute. keep going keep going teach them like how to hold their stakes and like how to you know how to get your leg up high you were so the that.
4: watcher yeah oh, essentially right and
6: it's like you got to get the demon at the heart or the neck so I was like your kick has to go up past your hip because it's like you're not you, you're not gonna go for their crotch that they don't care you know yeah. you know. so just you know training Um, obviously writing her letters was a big part of it but I think for how me how many
5: letters did you write
6: not like a ridiculous like amount a but like not an amount that I'm like proud to like mention <laughs> um, love. okay great but it was just like it I and I, I I still feel this way to this day but like I loved to love it like the act of yeah. loving it felt safe for me and as someone who was like very relentlessly bullied in my town and, and and I know so many people can relate to this to have something that was that sacred to me that gave me something to look forward to once a week but also to engage with other fans and whatnot, find people that were like minded. And I and I think in Buffy fans, I then they weren't always LGBTQ plus people, but they were people that I think the through line of a Buffy fan, often, not always, is a feeling of being othered in some, in some mm. way throughout their life, particularly, particularly in their young life. And I related to that so, so much. And I feel like I owe this show a debt in so many ways because I don't know, how, it was a lifeline. Yeah, like
5: in so many ways, you know, Rose and I have talked about this before when we talked about Harry Potter, but like the archetype of like the chosen one, which is like Buffy, which is Harry Potter, which is like, I guess maybe Luke Skywalker, like these other kinds of like you've been kind of almost divinely or mythologically chosen Mm. to take on this thing. I think a lot about Hercules, like the Disney's Hercules was a very formative thing for me. And that's also like a chosen one archetype. Like, I am a part of something, like, divine and bigger than me that, like, all of these normal people don't understand. Right. Like, that There's something so queer within that that I think sounds like what you're talking about. Like, the, the kind of, like, cultural objects that, like, we would latch on to um, were with protagonists wherein they were, like, you know no one really can understand what I'm going through because, like, we're literally a a completely different, you know, we belong to a different class of people. And
4: the fact that Buffy's journey was that early on she wanted to reject that otherness and then by the end of the show... Embraced it and shared it. Shared it, yes, mm. yes.
6: I mean, all of this. So again, sometimes it's funny because when people don't watch the show, they're like, "Oh, that's the show about the girl like fighting vampires and demons." Blah blah. blah. And it's like, yeah, and there's a lot more happening, and a lot of that I don't even know if that was like Joss being conscious of. Like, I don't think he was like writing with... The, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say, right? But it's like, I don't know if he realized the, the subtext that he was always putting on the paper. I think no. some of that was like stuff that we were picking up on. But mm. I just... Yeah, that for me was like the hook and then that aspect of the show and then something about being magnetized to her. Um, and I remember like... So the first time was I it was season two episode six the halloween episode it was the first I just, time i just i saw just rewatched it, it. I know it's I such a good episode like, yeah <laughs> um that was the first time i was hooked from the outset and it was just all systems go from there and i never turned it off i don't love the later parts of the show like i'm not someone that's like buffy is a perfect show by any measure no but i've revisited it throughout so many periods of my life and I think that when Buffy is good, and it is good often, it is the greatest. Mm-hmm. I think it is the greatest. I mean, like, how do you feel yeah.
4: about the supernatural elements? Because I feel like from knowing you, that's not necessarily the kind of media that you gravitate towards. Um, and Buffy, obviously. Is a genre show? And does she um, have
5: superpowers? I didn't completely. understand Yeah. So this is sl- it. A the, power. So like,
4: slayers have supernatural strength, agility, reflexes, okay. healing. Um, she has prophetic dreams. Um, she has like a sense when monsters are nearby. Know. I was like
5: watching it very stone, and I, I really could not grasp if she had powers or if she yeah, just kind of. Really, she had like m- you know intrinsic martial arts. Training they're a little.
4: And, they're a little like loosely defined, yeah, yeah. and, 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 and like and they do very that.
5: loose. That, yeah
4: like she's <laughs> like really really strong when she needs to be and then, and then like not she's and then kind of yeah.
6: bad
5: at
4: fighting
6: sometimes but, but which I think
5: is great I have
6: to say that is one of my favorite and this goes this is bigger than Buffy but one of my like great loves in any kind of media is when it's like the willingness to say fuck it to the rules and just yeah. be like it is because it is and I think Buffy was really great about being like why would they be doing XYZ thing it doesn't matter like if you're it thinking is. that way you're, you're watching the show with the wrong lens yeah. so Buffy was really great about like yeah there's totally moments in which it's like I, I think of like season four, episode one, when she's facing off against Sunday, which is she's just. It's oh, I random, love, th- I love that, love it that too, episode. But it's so good. It's a so random good. vampire, and like all of a sudden, Buffy like cannot fight a vampire, and it's like she has been up well, against because she's
5: depressed. She's well, depressed. there are a lot of things. I, there are a lot of things now that fall in the legacy of kind of like fuck it and the the linearity yep. of the narratives that you were attached to and like thinking about even like r- something like Riverdale yep. that is like so off the rails or like any Ryan Murphy project or like things where it's just like oh my god like it, it's a big fuck you but in order to enjoy the show you have to buy into kind of like the b- bizarreness and I, pr- I no prefer that
4: mess. I would rather have like I really like genre stuff and you know I like sci-fi and fantasy and I would rather have um, you know, someone whose abilities are like r- more undefined than like some Marvel hero, where you're like, I know that they're this strong and right. they have these powers, mm-hmm. and like, I I just think it like gives it gives like better opportunities for storytelling, absolutely, and to to put the story first before the rules of the universe. Yes.
6: You know, this makes me think a lot, too, about Carrie on Sex and the City and her Mm. outfits. And, you know, and everyone, I remember in 1998 and 1999, like, the big thing about the show was, like, how could Carrie afford this apartment and all of these outfits? And it's, like, if you're thinking about that, then you're watching the wrong show.
4: It is. It's similar. That's exactly right. But, to go
6: to what you were saying, no, I'm not really, like, a genre person by nature. It's something that I think that through the show, I definitely, like, got more into it, but it's not the natural genre that I go towards, but I think if nothing else, I come came away from the show having a lot more respect for genre mm-hmm. and the ways in which people sort of like belittle the merit of of genre and you know in the sense it's like sort of like the supernatural and whatnot. And I mean, I definitely like there were shows after the fact like The Vampire Diaries that I watched. Like it definitely brought me to other media that I wouldn't have come to. But first and foremost, like when it comes to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I'm here for Sarah Michelle Gellar first and foremost. Yeah, well, oh, I see.
4: I love that you watched the Vampire Diaries. I, I watched. I watched, a, I watched a. I watched a little bit of it, and Buffy really was like a vampire cultural reset mm. because, yeah. you, I really look at like contemporary vampire media as pre and post Buffy because you know the context of when Buffy came out was like. We were riding off of like Anne Rice and the Vampire Diaries, and this idea of the romantic vampire who was like a little like foppish and gay, and yeah. and like <laughs> this sort of romantic hero. President Robert Pattinson, um, Edward Cullen, rather. Um, and um, and then Buffy came and really reset that idea and made mm-hmm. vampires into monsters again. Mm-hmm. and it was like so important that they you know changed into like a demon face, right. and that's why you had the lore that. that's why you had the lore um on Buffy that vampires had no soul, and that's why it was so like important when angel lost his soul and then got it back and um and then afterwards, I think there was a return to the like brooding vampire well Vampire Diaries kind of straddles it a little bit yeah um and I think one of the things that that Vampire Diaries like fails at a little bit that Buffy didn't was that they're too into defining things very they really like rules but they will just keep making up new ones even though they contradict the previous ones yes and that's the thing with Buffy it's like when you only give as much as you need it just gives you so much more to play with yes You know from your research, did Sarah Michelle Gellar do a lot of her own stunts?
6: Yes, I think she did a lot of her stunts that she was allowed to do.
4: Because I, um last week, I went to a screening of I Know What You Did Last Summer, which I hadn't seen since I was, I mean, since maybe like around the time that Buffy was on the air. And I definitely remembered her as being more of just like, a scream queen in it. And I actually found like, it's surprising how, how like um, fiery she is in the movie yeah. and how she like really fights back against the killer. Yeah. And I was That's wondering, so like, I I feel like it came out probably like right around season two because she had the Bob yeah. um, kind of famously, like the, cu- the killer cuts off all her hair and she has a Bob. And I was wondering, did the fact that she was Buffy Impact the way that she was depicted in Mm. other films that she was in at the time, even though she didn't do a lot outside of Buffy. Um, yeah. Well, famously, especially in
5: that late 90s, early aughts era, like women f- women actors and their haircuts were like a big oh, yeah. point of contention on like what roles they could book. I'm I sure. have to say, though, with I know what you
6: did last summer. They chose, the in my opinion, they chose the wrong final girl. Mm. I really do feel like Julie mm. was the mistake. It should have been Sarah Michelle Gellar and Brandy. And I still know. But that's uh, that's another conversation. But with uh, so I know what you did last summer filmed between Buffy seasons one and season two. So Buffy season one had not aired yet. But I do think that it's interesting in looking at I know and Scream two, mm. both of which she filmed, both of which she kind of played the blonde girl who gets who a, kind of a version the, of the, Buffy. Well, also the antithesis of Buffy in so many ways. Cause it's mm. like kind of like. It's not kind of like the world that would be without a Buffy in mm. in so many senses. So I'm curious, like as an actress, if she was kind of like, I want to like show the range of like, I can be the one fighting evil, and I can be the one that's taken out by like evil. Buffy without her powers.
4: Then. Well, I guess it's
5: a different yeah, but I, but I but I well, totally,
6: there is an
4: episode where Buffy has no powers. There is.
6: Stay tuned. But it's interesting that you mention. I know. I know what you did, and I I had a similar reaction when I rewatched it because I remembered her being very damsel in distress in that movie and it's a nine minute death scene and there's a reason why it's nine minutes because she keeps sort of like evading this killer and I I, I love that death scene I think a lot of people do but it's sort of like fun because it's like she's not the sharpest and she's not the strongest but she figures her weasels her way out of that car and- she
4: does she kicks the window yeah. out she like tries to tell the cop what's going on he doesn't listen A cab. um also really? I know what you did last summer is a movie about restorative justice <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs>
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
2: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought
4: in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
1: just
3: be me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor-Johnson, rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th.
5: Obviously we don't want to dive deep, but maybe to like wrap out the conversation, either in like the research for this book or just like in how you've consumed all things related to the creator of the show. Like, you know, Rose and I, we had a conversation about Harry Potter and, like, nuancing our so love similar, and fandom yeah. and fandom within something that we grew up with that didn't have this, um, com- like, you know, decades later conversation related to something that we now have to, like, reconcile with.
4: Like, what... Because for anyone who doesn't know, you know, in in the past year or two, um, a lot of the cast of of Buffy have come forward and talked about what a toxic environment there was on set and how abusive Joss Whedon was. Yeah.
6: It's so interesting that you draw the parallel to Harry Potter because I think that is extremely apt and also just sort of like how we divorce ourselves from a creator of an art piece that we really like, while also acknowledging the fact, both in the case of Harry Potter and Buffy, these entities do not exist without the genius of these creators, right? So to deny that J.K. Rowling and Joss Whedon at one time created, were geniuses, are geniuses, that part I, I can't unpack. But I think that's really super difficult. I think what I learned from this book that was the most disheartening outside of the public allegations, and I get into this quite a bit in the book, was just the ways in which the women on this set were systematically pitted against one another. Mm. There's a really interesting anecdote in the book um, where basically the cats had been offered a cover of a magazine and... All of a sudden, the magazine was no longer happening. It was just going to be Sarah Michelle Gellar on the cover. And basically, a rumor was going around on set that the reason why that was was because Sarah Michelle Gellar refused to do the magazine if it wasn't just her solo. So Emma Caulfield, who plays Anya, you haven't met her quite yet, but you will in season three. Um, But Emma Caulfield went around the set and started just telling everyone what a nightmare Sarah Michelle Gellar was because it's like she's literally preventing us, the rest of the cast, from getting this huge opportunity to be on the cover. And so finally, Emma went to Sarah Mischkeller's trailer and she knocked on the door and she was just like, what's going on here? Sarah explained the fact that that was completely not true and told her what actually happened. And Emma apologized and she was like, hey, I got this misinformation. I was told that you were like this huge problem oh. when in fact it was a man and you can guess which man uh, that went in sort of led her to believe these things and then in turn go around and spread even more rumors and so Emma went to Sarah and like said I'm so sorry I actively helped spread this rumor about you mm. um, so I think that level of toxicity is so disappointing and I think there's a lot of trauma beyond just the women that have come forward and with the stories that they've told I don't know how to to I don't know what to think about it besides to meditate it on it quite a bit and think about it and how it recontextualizes the show I think if nothing else, it makes me respect and love these women more. Yep. And, you know, I dedicated the book to the women of Buffy, both on camera and behind the scenes, but also just like in recognizing that there's a, a strength both in, in the characters themselves, but in the actresses and, and the stunt people and, and a lack of appreciation. And it's disheartening for many reasons. And, um, I mean, I say fuck him. Like I really, it's just, it's a tough thing and it's tough too that I think these actresses suffer and Charisma has said this on the record publicly, not outside of my book, you know, that she thinks her career has suffered as a result. Mm. And so to think about, and I I would agree, it's like Charisma Carpenter is meant to be a very, very famous person.
4: Absolutely.
6: (laughs) And so thinking about just the insidious nature of what he allegedly did, all these many years ago, but the impact that it has. Yeah, and I ha- and last thing I'll say, sorry, real quick, but yeah, I fine. just was talking to Sarah. So Sarah Mischkeller just finished reading the book <gasps> uh, a couple nights ago. Oh my
5: God. I goosebumps.
6: And she sent me like a long message about <sighs> a lot of things, but the one thing that she said that I took away from it was like, it's really hard for me to read this and because I have to it's a very traumatic experience as a whole. Mm -hmm. Things that I'm sure she witnessed, things that I'm sure she experienced, and also being the the first person on the call sheet, you know, mm-hmm. being the person that there were all the I remember in 1999 there were all these rumors about how big of a bitch Sarah Michelle Geller was how mm. how how she would make things hell for that sh- I mean, this was I remember this so vividly yeah. and what I wanted to do with this book more than anything and, and I hope what I hope I succeeded with was like put some respect on the women of mm. Buffy and their names and recognizing the ways in which that like even one woman saying another woman was a bitch was because there were other people at play like telling them, orchestrating that, puppeteering.
4: It's so gross. I don't think it's unique to Buffy. No. But but it is, what I've had to reckon with is like, it's so sad for me to think about the pain that went into making this thing that I love so much yeah. and how I can watch it and still like, love it so much and know that that was not the experience for the people who made it what it is. And that is really hard to reckon with. And there is no like answer to that. And I think we just have to stay critical of the things we love and support the people who made them what they are. And that's why, your book is so important because we should be looking at things like this with a critical lens and be talking about the ugly parts of them. And hearing that you dedicated it to the women of Buffy is just so beautiful. And I I
5: think that kind of work is so, I think that just like thinking about things like Buffy or things like it is that like our role in consuming these is not like, you know, cancel it. We're not going to watch Buffy anymore. We're not going to read Harry Potter anymore. It's about that when we consume it, just as you said, Rose, like, we are making sure that history sticks to it. Yes. You know thoughtful I mean? consumption. Yeah, like, never let the context yeah, disappear. Because right. to erase it would be not just a disservice to a content, but a disservice to the abuse that happened. Yes. You know and I mean? and
6: I think like also one of the big things with writing this book is like I'm obviously writing this book because I love the show, but there are so many issues. I mean, there's the way the show handles, I don't even know if that's the right sexual assault. And then also mm. a huge part of this book is talking about race and ethnicity, both on camera and behind mm. the scenes of Buffalo. The fact that Buffy does not have a single writer of color, yeah. and one of my pursuits, in addition to speaking to all the women of Buffy, was having conversations with as many of the POC cast of this show. Mm. And I'm so grateful. For instance, I was able to track down Bianca Lawson, wow. uh, famously oh. the sister-in-law, of, excuse me, the, yeah, the sister-in-law of Beyonce, um, who plays Kendra, the Vampire Slayer, on the show, and kind oh. of get into like. What's the deal with the fact that you were only on two episodes, but you're so beloved? Why were you killed off? Like, Is, is there more to that story? And there is more to that story. Ooh, can't and so wait to read. I think one of the fun things about getting this opportunity was being able to talk to the people who were ignored or sort of cast aside or killed off on the show and be like, did you ever have thoughts on that at the time? Like mm. what, you know, and, and and I keep, you know, in my research, it's like Kendra is like one of the most, such a beloved character and is like barely on the
4: show. And is iconic.
6: And is iconic. And there's a reason why a character like that stays burned in your brain. And so, and also just like, I spoke to uh, Sharon Ferguson. She plays the first Slayer who only appears in three episodes. And she talked to me about like the complexities of like, not being given a voice on the show. Her her character is literally a white actress, Tara, the character of Tara, speaks for her. Mm. And I'm like, did you have a problem with that? And she was like, no. She's like, looking back on it now, I don't love that, but I also got to be on Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm. and that complexity is like getting that is is to me just as important as a conversation with Sarah Michelle Gellar about the impact that she had yeah. on you know women there's there's just so much to this show uh, the gender well, the sexuality the race ethnicity
4: you know well i'm so excited to read your book mm. um i we thought it might be fun um before we let you go to imagine if we were casting Buffy in 2021, who we would cast in it. Yeah. yeah.
5: I feel like, you know, it's a natural segue from the conversation of an iconic cast and like what diversity looks like in a cast and all that's different, all the different stuff. Yeah. Obviously, it's almost a little sacrilege.
4: You're like, how are you going to. I get it. Sarah there, I and I think <laughs> also we prompt. can say you know the 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 OG cast will like have cameos, sure, but sure. we're Sounds. doing this as a <laughs> we're doing this as a hard reboot, yes. so okay. it's not we like
5: our casting agents. Yes,
4: we are in this. Okay, yeah. this okay. is
5: our job. Okay, so do you have any first thoughts? I do, okay. and it's funny because so you
6: guys told me this right before we started recording, and I was like trying to so stay engaged while also like making sure <laughs> I good. had an answer okay so this I is where I landed it. Okay, multitasking so Sing. I'm landing for Buffy because I think who they are as like a pop culture persona is as important as like their acting prowess true. True, true, true. and I feel like it needs someone with like gravitas who like the, the the people are gonna come for and like want to see what they do with the role mm. so I'm putting Zendaya in as Buffy, fuck. Okay, I just feel like it has all the ingredients necessary, and I also like am imagining like Zendaya can has the like the range. You know, you were talking earlier about like this role just requires like mm-hmm. so much dexterity, and I feel like Zendaya has that. And I feel like important
5: to me, it's like she would serve the looks. And you see the kind of pizzazzy commerciality of it in like her and Spider Man, and like her as like um a, almost like a. I want, I don't want to say a cartoon because she's acting so well, but like it's an archetype. You, f- she fits into an archetype as well as giving something with a lot of nuance. Totally. Okay, love. Okay,
4: so okay, w- uh, Willow.
5: Willow is so tough because I feel like
6: that is as big of a role as Buffy and requires Absolutely. just as many acting chops, if not more. Is
5: Willow more of a serious character or is she like comedic? She's both. Okay. Everyone's both. So That's the like thing a, about Buffy. It's like, it's, it's and queer she's a lesbian. Character, is it like? A Megan Fox time is it like Aubrey Plaza?
6: I do like an Aubrey Plaza. I would like an out actress to occupy the role. I, I would. Oh, I thought as they were well. both by uh, Aubrey
5: and Megan. No, no, oh, they, they are. are. Oh, no, they oh, are. No, they oh, are. Yes, yes. I'm saying oh, that. No, yeah, those yeah. are
6: good selections. Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, I definitely Megan's like maybe a little Plaza.
4: old. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's think of people. To, oh, yeah, let's think of people school. who could convincingly play teenagers. Did what she? about Beanie Feldstein as well? Yes. she would
6: be so good. Period. No. Yes, Xander.
4: I think also in this reboot. Xander needs to be gay.
6: Okay, I completely concur. Uh, a Xander, for the re- it's hard because it's like I go to older all the time. Because like, what about
5: shooty? Did- Oh, I love. Oh,
4: I love Shruti Gatwa.
5: Okay, I'm already
6: like sold on this reboot because I'm like so anti-reboot, but now I'm like as we're casting it, I'm like, okay. I'm also anti-reboot. And then Giles,
4: Giles can be maybe like an- uh, That's uh, where we can have some fun, right? Like
6: in terms of like, we can recruit someone with a little, I like to see, hmm, I want to see someone who's like not, like, you know who's coming to mind for me in that weird way? He's, he's a Marvel guy, the Hawkeye. He plays Hawkeye. Oh,
4: Jeremy Renner. Jeremy <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm um, <laughs> seeing a Jeremy.
6: You're like, eh, I mean, okay, it's sure.
4: Yeah. What about like um I would love to see like um like Alexandra Billings as Giles. Oh, I Alexandra love Billings. That. <laughs> okay, I'm here for that. Ooh, I love. Okay, okay. Uh, and then who and then okay, let's figure out um wait, a cameo. Alexandra
6: Billings as, as Giles is iconic. <laughs> it's so good, right? <laughs> She's yeah.
4: so and never have I ever so funny.
5: Like she uh, she I, she serves. Mm. And
4: let's figure out a cameo role. For someone from the original cast, Sarah Michelle Geller is, is she going to be the mom? We're not, not going to her. we're not going to do her dirty. Maybe like she should she... die first
5: in the first episode. I could oh, that. that would be yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. It's
6: like she's playing a mom in an upcoming Amazon show and oh, I'm that, just like hearing sucks. the name mom with Tim No, just, just it's like nothing wrong with playing a mom no, whatsoever no, no, no. Right, and it's like right, right, not I'm not trying to be Maybe she's like right.
4: the school principal. I love that. And she's evil and she dies in the first episode. Yes. I'm down. Okay, okay. I'm down. Okay, so our Buffy reboot coming. do we
5: have a romantic interest?
4: Oh, Angel. I think uh um, who can? Who's Angel? Who's who's like the heartthrob right
5: now? Like it needs to be someone that's like funnier than like Timotei or like
6: yeah. It's like and also I that. need someone with a little bit more. It's like one of the things that appeals about Angel is sort of like the brutishness of him. Yeah. and it's like someone like a Timotei, it's he's too like lithe. Yeah. Um, it's hard because it, the person that's coming to mind, this is way too obvious, is like a Jacob Lordy type. Mm,
4: but I don't, I don't I really want him yeah, in I'm our not reboot. Looking,
6: I'm not here for Jacob. But so I, I'm kind of also. What
4: if it was a woman? Oh. maybe Buffy's oh. by well, in the reboot. Buffy
6: oh. is in the comic book. In the comic books, she is. bisexual. So listen, okay, okay.
5: I
4: love okay. that idea. Okay, so let's have a like a brooding. What about like Jamie Clayton? Oh, I who's love who's gonna okay. who's gonna be the new Hellraiser?
5: Oh, I oh yeah, I heard about that. Okay,
4: yeah, 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 I no. think she could do brooding. I'm into it. Um, I'm very here for that.
6: Oh or wait, like, sorry. Wait, going back though uh, to Giles, Lee Pace says Giles.
0: Mm. Oh, also...
6: I would wow, like to see I it. Love. I could see that happening as well. Uh, 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 but wait, also Cordelia. I'm thinking I really would like to see someone who I haven't seen like play oh, that yeah, type Cordelia, before. This is so important.
4: Okay, yes. but yes, and but also I think the girl who plays the mean girl on Gossip Girl would be a great Cordelia. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, really. Oh yeah, my gosh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. But
6: also, I feel like an MJ Rodriguez as a Cordelia. Oh. I think would be really fun because we haven't oh. seen her get to occupy like that kind of role or like
4: Hari Neff oh. as
5: Cordelia. Oh God. also though Hari enough
6: as Buffy yeah I mean like
4: Hari's for
5: Cordelia it makes so much sense because oh, yeah. Hari's really good at unhinged like absurdism kind of like she loves that kind but of but also style. I would do like a table read where it's just Hari in every
6: role and, Like that <laughs> yeah. work could be like really fun <laughs> yeah,
5: I think yeah. we
4: could make that happen yeah. Thank you, Chosen Ones, for coming along this vampiric journey with us. Next week, we'll be back with an episode about... Fifty Shades of Grey, um, an intellectual property stolen from another vampire franchise, Twilight. Love that. Um, So if you've never seen any of the Fifty Shades movies and you are curious, please check them out so you can watch along with us. Also, you know, tweet us your takes about this week's episode. Who's your favorite Buffy character? Are you, you know, a slayer, a vampire, a werewolf? How do you identify? Do you think Sarah Michelle Gellar should have an Oscar? Uh, Please let us know you can also call to confess and give us inspiration for an upcoming episode with that thing that you love so much in pop culture that you have to share it with everyone you love call to confess at 323 penance that's 323-736-2623 I'm your co-host Rose Domu. you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at Rose Damu. and I'm Fran Torado you can find me at friendsquishco anywhere you want Subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a rating on Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out and lets us know that you love us. Um, And it is the season to show your love. It is the damn season. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Cranchich, and Nikki Etor. Until next week, see you later, virgins.
6: Hey, I just want to encourage anyone out there that hasn't seen the show. Yes, this is important. You're going to get people telling you to start season two as like your starter season. I say start from the outset. I think Buffy is good from the jump. Mm-hmm. I think it gets better in season two, but I think there's a lot to take away from season one. But I really encourage like if you're through season one and you're not quite vibing, I say you got to push into season two before you decide
4: to call it quits. Yeah, you, have to, you have to give it the old Sunnydale Hyde try. Yep. It's a very it. good prescription doctor. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you, Evan. Oh my God, thank you both. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye
0: happy pride from TomboyX. x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop
1: i'm katia adler host of the global story over the last 25 years i've covered conflicts in the middle east political and economic crises in europe drug cartels in mexico